good afternoon guys how are you doing dave how are you doing phil good to see you how are we doing how are we doing good to see yourself mr hall and mr phil are you well boys yeah we're good we're good we're not bad at all are you really yeah. are you really phil uh, you well sure? i will uh, that's for a whole nother conversation but for the purposes of this <laughs> podcast i'm dandy yeah well, I know you've not been in great health recently, but it's really good to see you nonetheless. You're still looking beautiful. Well, I'm feeling pretty cool. I'm feeling pretty cool. It's January, isn't it? And um, I've just come back from the physio this morning and says I'm stronger than ever, and I love that kind of stuff. So I'll take that as a good start to the year. Set myself some physical goals and some academic goals. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling even more buzzing than usual. I'll be honest with you, I'm proper buzzing. Come on, go on, Dave. Tell us a little bit more. How are you feeling? Well, I, I like there, I like January. I mean, I know a lot of people go into January. It's like oh, it's mm. dark and nothing ever happens. But I like that of it because you're coming out of a season of ballisticness, aren't you? You know, you go into December, mid December, things ramp up and it's busy. You know, you've got work commitments, outside of work commitments, family commitments, Christmas, and then you, it's just turbo. I find it really, really nice to get into January and just go, bosh, you know, just to switch things down, turn the temperature down a little bit, you know, a little bit slower and start to recoup, reboot and do a bit of planning, get a bit more, not that I'm not organised, but it's just, I find it quite peaceful, January. Yeah, good, good. You've got control back again, haven't you? Standard ops. Standard operations. Standard ops continues. I like standard ops. Indeed. Yeah, we do, don't we? Dave, how rude of me. Who's this guy I can see to your right? Have you brought him out with you? I have done, yeah. Yeah, indeed. This 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 is the good thing about, you know, December. You meet and and well, all, all the time really, you come across some awesome people. And uh today, well, he's got an awesome name, obviously, because he's called Dave. We've got Mr. Dave Wilson. <laughs> how are you, bud? I'm all right, mate. How are you, lads? All right? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, yes. Happy indeed. New Year. When do we actually stop indeed. saying Happy indeed. New Year? What date of the month in January do we stop saying that? Do you know what? I, I've i got this thing throughout the year and I always say to people, all the best. And my wife will say to me, you can only say that at New Year. And I'll be like, why? Why just New Year? You can wish people, you know, all the best, all the best, all the best. I think it's associated with New Year. But I say it all year, me. But that's because I like to break the norms. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with first week, and if you've said it once already, oh, you don't have to really? say it again. Well, I won't say it again then. But no, that's my <laughs> algorithm. Yeah. It's all right. I, I'll forgive you if you did. It's absolutely fine. I'd Happy New Year. All the best. So tell us more then. Tell us more. So Dave, Dave, tell, me, tell us more about Dave. Well, Dave, Dave, do you want to... I think the best person to tell him a little bit more about himself would, would be Dave. I don't think I'd be able to do it justice, if I'm honest with you. Well, we had a conversation before, Dave, didn't we, about um, my life, really, my life story and how I uh, grew up and how basically alcohol took hold of my life for 40 years. And it kind of interested you guys, and I think you wanted to hear a little bit more about it. So I can start off um, when I was a lad growing up, really, um, and I grew up in a place called Croydon, which is, you can tell by my accent, I was a South London character. Um, and for a lot of Northern people, they need translator for me because I'm, I'm like an old market boy. 
But, um, yeah, I grew up in Croydon, and my mum and dad never had any money. It was, you know, I was born in 1964, and uh, it was always second-hand clothes. Uh, but we always had good dinners, and we were taken down to Cornwall on the A303, where we'd just sit there for hours by Stonehenge. I always remember that. Uh, and they always provided what we needed, like the, the good basic necessities of life, but there were never any treats or anything like that, you know. And um, I I was quite a shy lad. Um, and we moved when I was about 12. And I had to start a secondary school in the second year, uh, which was terrifying for me um, because I, I was, you know, being shy, not streetwise. And then where we moved was quite rough. And um, I remember walking into the classroom and there were a few burly kids in the back of the classroom just looking me up and down and I felt quite intimidated. But I met a, a lad there that was more my kind of character uh, and become friends with him. But when I was 14, um, I got up one morning and um, there was a letter on the table uh, and I opened it up and it was from my mum. And she basically said, Dave, uh, I've left your dad. Um, I don't know when I'll be in touch, but I will be. And that was in the days of no mobile phones or anything like that. Um, so I, I had no idea why she left, why she couldn't tell me herself or where she was. And it absolutely broke my dad. So for me to see my dad broken like that just ripped me apart, you know. But it wasn't long after that that he met someone. And I kind of quizzed him recently about it. And in those days, it was like adverts in the paper or something or you know, it wasn't like now with bloody swipe left, swipe right and all that business. It was a different thing. But she kind of came into the family home a bit. She didn't move in, but she was there a lot. And I remember one night the heating had packed up and I was sitting there night after night freezing. And I say, we didn't have like phones then. So I had a record player. I never really read, but I went downstairs because they had the fire on and she was tutting and like, rolling her eyes and that. And I, I said, what's the problem? And she said, oh, I just want some time with your dad. And I looked at my dad to get him to sort of back me up a little bit and he just walked into the kitchen. And I remember getting up and walking out of the house and I just burst out crying because I, I felt totally rejected, totally unwanted and lost. And shortly after that, I kind of moved towards these lads that were always fighting, always hanging around the shops. And one day I bumped into one. He said, you're coming out up to the circle, which was a place where they used to go. It's like a, a roundabout with a really dodgy pub on the corner. And I said, yeah, all right, nothing else to do. So I went up there and they used to like find the money down the sofas and that. And then, asked the adults to buy booze from the off-license. And I had my first can of, I think it was something, Foster's or something. And I just, it was like the magic tablet for me because all of a sudden I felt confident. And then I had another one. Then I was making them laugh and they go, oh, you're a right laugh, Dave, blimey. We thought you was a quiet one. And back in those days as well, you didn't need ID to go into a pub. So they used to go in a pub in a place called Hatbridge called the Skinner's Arms. So we were now drinking with all the grown-ups, you know. They were playing pool, playing darts, and I felt like I found my new family. And, uh, you know, it was never, like, crazy because we didn't have the money. But 
somehow we made it work with the um, social side of it, you know. And that was, you know, that was me for a few years. I used to work hard, play hard kind of thing, play a lot of football and go out clubbing and meet women and stuff like that. But it was in, in my late 20s that I, I bought a flat and um, my next-door neighbour, I could tell, loved a drink. He, one night I had this terrible crashing and he, we lived on the first floor and he had literally got to the top and fallen back down the stairs all the way down to the bottom. And uh, he just got up, brushed himself down and said, oh, I've had a few too many down the pub. You should come down here one day. And I did. And I, I was in the carpet game then. And I walked into this pub. It's like Young's Pub, uh, saloon bar, public bar. Uh, and in this public bar was all the builders, plasterers, and all had names like Colin the Carburetor. And, you know, I was Dave the Carpet because that's what I did. <laughs> but I, I like... I was a quick drinker, so I drank four or five beers in an hour, and I got quickly named Glugs, Glugsy. You know, so whenever I went in the pub, it's Glugsy. You know, so that become my kind of identity down the pub, and that just carried on for a few years and that. And but then one day, some bloke said to me, "Mate, have you got a problem with booze and that? Because you look like absolute shit, um, and you're always pissed when I see you." And it really knocked me because I thought, well, that's why we're in here, isn't it? Like to have a, a good old laugh and a few beers with the lads and whatever. But see, I'm I'm sensitive as well. I'm quite a sensitive person. So I, I went home that day and I thought, oh, God, am I like an alcoholic? What What's happening here? So instead of like keep going in the pub, I would go in the pub for a couple and then I'd go over the off-license over the road. And back then you could get like diamond white cider. And it was like 8.4%. So I'd just get four takeouts, go home, have four cans, and sit there thinking, actually, this is all right because I'm not being judged. I quite like this, really. And that ramped up to eight cans. Then that ramped up to buying a case from the supermarket and just having them all in the fridge. And I could then have seven or eight and that. And then I, I um, started putting on loads of weight because of poor food choices bad decisions, no exercise. And then I started buying uh, wine because that was a quicker hit and it weren't so acidic. Then I got from one bottle to two bottles to three bottles a night because it's accumulative. And then I moved and uh, I, I then didn't go to the pub and I did the famous... Google of what alcohol has the least amount of calories. That was my idea of losing a bit of the weight I put on was to change my drink and up come vodka. Uh, and that then was like the fall off the cliff because I stopped socializing. I stopped integrating with society really. And I used to lock myself in. And I'll pause there for a minute because I'm, I'm talking on about it because it's a lot deeper than that. But I went from being a happy chappy, going out every now and again with my mates and having a real laugh to gradually being a completely solitary drinker on my own, um, depressed, overweight. I lost all my self-esteem. And that I was only 40 then. And and I, you know, we can talk later that that went on for another 14 years of 
decline. It never got, it never changed. It got worse and worse because it's accumulative, you know. It's, it just, it, I look at it like poison ivy. It wraps itself around your little toe and it works its way up your body without you even knowing. And before you know it, it's around your throat and it's grabbing you and it almost feels too late, you know. That, that's mesmerizing stuff, that, Dave. Thanks for sharing that. Mm. Um, a, point, a point to that, um, I was totally relating to what you were talking about because I remember being a teenager myself in a very, I was, you know, one of my nicknames at school was Shandy because I was so quiet. So it was Shandy because people didn't even know I existed. So my only way of actually having a reputation was doing something a little bit reckless or stupid. And that was drinking from a, mm. from a young age as a teenager. Yeah. Um, I was never called the carpet or Glugsy or anything like that. I never got quiet to that stage, but I love those names. And I, and what I'm kind of taking from that was, as a teenager, it's exciting. Mm. It's exciting to to be around adults and grown ups, but I also remember the rush of wow, this just feels this feels pretty cool. So there's parts of that story early on. It's almost like glorifying that excitement, if you like. I know that wasn't the intention, but I remember with fond memories going into a pub as a teenager mm. because you just get in. We got in with our school uniform in the region, and my mate Scotty buying beers because he was the tallest one. We used to literally put coins in his hand and he'd go up and get the pints and bring them back to the back of the pub for us. And similarly, I think we had cans of, uh, what do we have now? We had cans of rapier because that was the cheapest lager you can get. It was like 20 odd P a can and that was superb. And then we went on to the diamond wire and then we had, what was it called when you when you mixed lager and cider together? Snake bite. Snake bite. Snake bite. Yeah, yeah, we had snake bite and black. So was cool. And then we crushed up anodines and we put anodines in them. Jesus, Christ. and then we used to get straws and suck them. And then, and then we we got into that sort of thing. And then we got into like buying bottles of whiskey, vodka, etc. Hang on, was the anodine? Thought that was cool. Was the anodine stop you having an headache? Was that a sort of preemptive? It's just it was one of those things that kids say that it, 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 it'll hit you quicker. If you, if you put something in it. So we're just experimenting with all kinds of shit. But similarly, going back to going back to your point there, Dave, it was just, you know, from a council estate as well. And it was just turning off the boredom and the shite that was going on around the world. You know, we just like, I, I was youngest of a massive family and I just didn't exist. So what's the point in, you know, just not existing? I might as well have a bit of a laugh while I'm still here. So I was, I was laughing at that part there, but then... We moved in. We moved into a pub when I was a teenager. So, and I saw people like Dave the Carpet Glugsy. You know, there was like Matt, Mike, who'd fixed everybody's car. You know, there's always a plumber. There's always a plasterer. You didn't need Google. You could just walk into the pub, and then that was like you. That was your living Google. And I, I had fond memories of that. But the dark side of that was there were people who used to wait for the doors to open at twelve. The alcoholics would just literally be banging on the door at twelve, going fucking time to call this kind of thing opening the doors at 12 o'clock going this is it i've got my gyro i'm now gonna have a drink and that's it i'm gonna I'm gonna switch off and you know my turn to shut up now but um you know there's i've got i've got like compromised feelings about that because you know drinking in in itself isn't such a bad thing socially but when it takes over you as you described there dave that's when i've seen it happen to people and you know it's heartbreaking my, to see. most of the people in my pub were escaping something it it wasn't so much social they were mm. real regulars and we used to have this thing that we well i did i made it up that um what i earned from being dave the carpet down the pub was paying for my drinking 
because that was the denial of it. You know, if I didn't go to that pub, I wouldn't get the work I do and all that business. But I used to knock on the door at midday on a Sunday and I'd still be in there at 10.30 Sunday night. And that was my badge of honour. Ah, oh, Glugsy, you're still in here, mate. You're a, you're a legend. Yeah. You're amazing. Are you still standing yeah. up, you know? Yeah. And I wake up Monday yeah. morning and think, shit, I've got to get in my van and drive to work. And I still feel pissed, yeah. you know what I mean? And I felt like my skin was crawling off. And that's all the other sides that we're all in denial of because we were we all fitted in. We're the geezers and we're, we're doing all this, you know? But there was all sorts of mental health going on, marriage breakups and all that other side to it. But it was almost like the boys' club that we were all in and we couldn't see anything outside of it. What What's really interesting, sorry, Andy, what was really interesting right at the start of that, uh, Dave, was that whole thing of confidence, of like just finding confidence through having a drink, through being quite shy. You know, because that's sort of me, really. I've always been quite shy. Um, and having a drink in hand, the same, you know, on the local park or whenever it was back in the day, all of a sudden, Phil, this bit of a SWAT kid, you know, comes alive and there's this other side of him and it's like everyone's laughing. Oh, Phil, we're do- it's exactly the same. Yeah. always thought you were a bit of a SWAT, but you're actually quite a laugh, aren't you? And that in itself is quite addictive. That sort of, oh, there is another side of me. I'd not really realised that. And then... And then that that becomes a thing that, you know, sort of defines you, doesn't it? And yeah, you know, I, 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 I just it's just really interesting hearing that from you. I'm like, I'm like, I can see myself on on the little park in Shore Reef and and wherever, and just getting that hit, that adrenaline of going, oh, people do fight. I'm not just a swat. I'm actually quite cool. I think or did think at that point, and that becomes that defines. You are for for for. Well, you for, play a role, a, don't a you, Phil? You, it's like an acting mm. job. You you get this role in the West End theatre, and you mm. you have that role. Yeah. But with my role, I had several because I used to shape shift because I was a people pleaser. So I wanted any, everyone to like me in the end because I didn't like myself. Yeah. So I would shapeshift around mm. every single person for them to think, God, he's really funny. Oh, he's intelligent. Oh, he knows about that. That is read up in the news and whatever. And like, but actually, I didn't even know who the hell I was. What is it that pushes you to a point where you realize something's got to change? Because I'm really interested in that. Well, I, I think it's a process, Phil. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. It, you know, several rock bottoms, several feelings of what have I become? What? How can I continue to live like this? You know, and, and the mental and physical health decline. I mean, I've even putting my socks on in the morning, I used to be out of breath because the visceral fat around my organs when I'd let, you know, and it's, I've always been a fit, you know, good footballer. All of a sudden, I'm wheezing putting my bloody socks on but you know losing work I mean I I, in the carpet game all around London I used to say for instance Thursday night I'd have a big house full to quote for uh, and I'd finish at three and the measure was at seven I'd go do you know what I could start drinking if I didn't have that measure 
So I used to text him, oh, like, I've gone for a pipe or something like that and I, I won't be able to make it. Can I come another day? Yeah, absolutely fine. Yes, straight up to Tesco's because I didn't socialise. Mm. Fill the trolley up with booze and whatever and buy. I always ate a chicken for some reason. Don't know why, but that's my idea of a bit of protein, <laughs> I suppose, but nothing else with it. Like Fred Flintstone eating his chicken. But And I'll go home, and then a day or two later, I'd go to re- rearrange the thing, and they'd say, oh, it's all right, we've accepted another quote now. And that could have cost me a fortune, do you know what I mean? And um, it was that, but it, it was more my mental health was really, really declining. I was on antidepressants. Um, I My cholesterol the doctor took my cholesterol levels and that, and they, he said, it's 186 over 124. He said, I don't know why you, how you're still walking. My blood pressure, I mean, and, and my cholesterol was nearly nine. And I had acid reflux where I could vomit out acid without even knowing it. I was like the exorcist. I was in a pub in Rye once and I got up and it was almost like come out like, <laughs> like projectile acid. Yeah, like that, Dave, didn't you? Um, but it's true, honestly, and, and these kind of things. But that still didn't, you know, I had a, I had a um, at this time I was as married and I'd, I'd um, there was a string of arguments and it wasn't just the drinking, it was a lot, there was a lot of tension around. And, and one day it was Easter 2018 and I think it was me, I would fly off the handle really quickly because my nervous system was so up and down, like, I'd either be really high with a drink or really low with a depression of the aftermath of the drinking. Right? I was never level. Yeah. I was never balanced. And this, this Friday morning, it was Good Friday, and there was a big argument indoors, and I went, fuck this, I, I'm, I'm out of here. And I just drove down the coast, right, and I dumped the van down the side street in Eastbourne, and I went on the pier, and the bar was open. I think it's Horatio's or something. And I went, uh, it was something silly, like 10 o'clock in the morning, right? And I said, I'll have a pint of Peroni, please. And they said, well, it's minimum card spend of 12.50. So I said, I'll have two pints of Peroni, a bag of peanuts then. And I sat on the end of the pier. I had the two beers. And a chicken. And yeah, yeah, and a whole chicken, yeah, because I need me protein. And then I, I had four on the pier, and then I went to a, a Witherspoons, because the weird thing about Witherspoons, right, is that you, you just don't feel judged because everyone's in there drinking for breakfast, you know. So I went in there, oh, but it was, word, it was actually yeah. quite hot. It was late April, I think. And there was a table outside. Now, I'm somebody who likes a bit of the sun and that. So I put my beer down on the table, and there's a bloke next to me drinking and whatever well of course he become my best friend in about 10 minutes and i stayed there all day i must have had 15 16 stellas um from about half 11 in the morning till 10 at night mm. uh burn. i had about 10 new best mates i fitted in with a whole boozer then and then i thought you know what i've hadn't even booked anywhere to stay like and it was easter weekend as well so i've got this romantic idea that actually Getting a bottle of vodka from the local co-op, sitting on the beach and looking at the stars is fantastic. But two o'clock in the morning, when I'm paralytic, drunk nearly all the vodka and that, I thought, I'm absolutely freezing. It's quite terrifying yeah. being here, like, on this beach. And I went to get up and I fell over and I hit my head and cut all the side of my head open. And then I, I 
couldn't find my van where I'd put it. I had no idea where it was and I ended up leaning against a wall. And this, I remember this black taxi pulled up and the girl got out and she just looked at me, she went, fucking loser, like that. And I thought, oh, my God. Like, in the morning, I thought, this time last week, I was in Chelsea measuring up a flat near Sloan Square and now I'm off my head with my head cut open against a wall. And to her, I just look homeless and... Uh, part bench alcoholic you know so mm-hmm. instead the next day of thinking oh well i need to get my act together and go and sort it out I, I thought well i've got a ticket now to be out and i went four days doing that literally four days mm-hmm. didn't shower i didn't i just was like virtually homeless yeah. for four days but what i failed yeah. to say was just before that um i went back to the doctors and and said that like, i'm still depressed not once did he say to me what so do you drink? What's your drinking like? And didn't even ask me. All he did was double my dose of antidepressants. So, so I went psychotic as well. So I went back and uh, I went to see the doctors again. I think they realised that they had mucked up and I was in there for an hour. Now, you know, these days, well, you can't even get one these days, can you? But then um, I was in there for an hour um, because, I, you know, they were asking about my mental health and whatever. And I come out of there and I thought, right, I've got to turn it around. I've got to sort this out. And then three days later, I was drinking again like, like I was before. And then my mum fell over and, and she had a fall and then she died. I had a builder take 25 grand from me. I had a watch stolen where I tried to recoup the money. So it's one of those years that was just an excuse for, well, am I meant to give up drinking if yeah. this has happened? And now he's done that. Yeah. And now he's done that, the victim thing. Yeah, now I need a drink. Cause yeah, yeah, it's always it. that, isn't it? Terrible, terrible things, aren't they? Horrible, horrible things. And you can't imagine, but it, every one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's medication. It, it, it's yeah. like the answer to the problems when you're in the depths of the drug, you know, like I can't manage these situations without the drug. So I need the drug. You don't think about the consequences. You just have it. And when you're in that throes of that, you're never really coming off it because you're just topping up all the time. Yeah. And uh, I went the whole year like that, um, like until I the January in 2019 when things changed. That's only four years ago, isn't it? Five, Five. years ago, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, go on then, what, what, sorry, I'm, I'm just, I don't want to press pause on that story then. What, what yeah, gets okay. to January, t- 20, I know I sh- I'm trying not to speed stay because me throat, but, but <laughs> Well, I just, do you know what? I, 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 I kept saying, I've got to do something about it. I've got like an internal voice kept, going off in my head all the time. Um, I've really got to do something about it. But that's as far as it went. It wasn't how, I wasn't Googling how to stop drinking. It was just an internal voice that kept saying that to me because I knew my life was literally imploding on me. And where I lived, I called it a posh brookside. It was a Wandsworth Common uh, and there was a couple of famous chefs in the close and, and my friend Piers, he's, he looks like Foxy out of um, SAS who dares wins. He's spitting image of him and that. But oh, yeah. he, he's very um, godly, like not not in a Bible bashing sense, but in a way that he will tell you things that you think, how the hell is a bit like Darren Brown or something, you know. And it, he, it was about eight months before that, I had dinner with him and he said, do you know what, I've just had something come to me 
something incredible is going to happen to you soon. I don't know what it is and whatever. Fuck. You know, it was that. Anyway, on January the 7th, 2019, I got a text message off the back of another hangover. It's on, I think it was a Monday morning, I think. And I read it from Piers, and it said, Hello, Dave. Um, how do you fancy joining me to stop drinking alcohol for three months? And I literally burst out laughing because I, I, I thought, I can't even give up three days. What, what, do you not know me? Mm. But it was his way of supporting me because he obviously saw I was in a lot of pain and a lot of trouble. And rather than say to me, mate, you're a right mess, like you need to sort your act out, that would have had the opposite effect. I would have gone, well, fuck you. He suggested yeah. that he, we did it together. And well, fucking guy. Yeah. And throughout the day, it started to trickle in. And I was thinking, I wonder how I would feel after three months. I wonder how my mental health would be, how my physical health, how my work life, you know, all these questions started coming into my head. And I started visualizing what my life would look like in three months' time. And I then texted him, I said, are you in? Now, this bloke's never in. He's always doing something right. And he said, come and see me. And I went round there, and he was standing there like Foxy out of SS, who dares went in. And I looked at him, and it, I just said, I'm doing it. And that is it. Wow, I've never man. drank wow. since. Wow. Now, Fuck do you know yeah. what as well, though? Save your life, mate. You save your life. I often think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I often think what happened... If he wasn't in, well, I know what would have happened. I'd have gone Straight got a bottle yeah. of vodka. I, I, I would have been there. Well, that's the universe saying yeah. that it's not ready. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. But it, it felt like for me there was a window of opportunity open for twelve hours, and I either went through that door or I shut the door and said I ain't doing it. Yeah. And and that's how I look at it. Yeah. And thank God I did because I don't think I would be here if yeah. I hadn't have taken that opportunity. You know. Thank God for Piers. We're a good guy. Because so so many people want to want to push back and say, you need to do this, you need to do that. That whole idea of let's do this together. Not even yeah, not even like you need to do this, so I'm gonna do it with you. But like the way you've pitched that. It's just, how do you fancy this? It's like, oh, right, yeah, I'm doing it. Like, are you yeah. in? And, and the wife found out after absolutely. he didn't really drink. <laughs> That's the irony of it. He didn't really drink. That's <laughs> what. <laughs> so it was easy for him. <laughs> but he but wasn't what, doing you know, it for him, was he? No, I know. And what, what, a, what, a, what, a, uh, what, I can't even describe what a what a, what a guy for just clicking that that approach was what would yeah. would be needed, not a you fucking not a sort judgmental. yourself out and all that. Yeah, waggy finger sort of thing. Because you can't do that with us uh, people that are hooked into alcohol. Because you just say fuck you, I'm drinking more. Well, that in itself is insightful, Dev. Because I think one of the questions you know people will be asking if they're living with somebody who was going through a lot of pain and drinking to mask that pain is like, what do I do? Because you could imagine it would be like, we just saw your fucking act out is what you want to say, but may, may not be the right thing to say. 
But going on the journey with them sounds like a better option. Maybe asking them questions and helping them to visualize what it looked like in three months if you stopped drinking, for example. But how, you know, got, kind of rewinding a little bit, Dave, there, thinking about the conversations that other people had had with you, like, you know, you're looking a bit out of breath, you're knackered, you know, you're unfit, are you all right, mate, kind of thing. What, what were the things that worked and what didn't work for you from an external point of view? Well, exactly that, what you've just said there. You know, like um, being told to stop drinking, being told I was a mess, being told I need to sort my life out didn't work at all because I knew that. I already knew that. I didn't need to be told that. But in answer to your question of anyone listening to this who might have a partner, is to have try and step back a little bit from your projection of your own anger and, and, and think... You know, Gabor Mate, he's an incredible speaker and mentor. He says, not why the addiction, why the pain. And it's so true, you know, because we're not raising glasses and going, oh, this is amazing when we get to a certain level. We're we're anaesthetizing ourselves, we're medicating ourselves. And and that that a lot of the time as well, it might not be an external thing like on the tax bills due or, you know, it could be a combination of things, but a lot of it is like, how have I got here? And and that was for me, it's like, I used to pretend that I was having a party in the park at my cottage. I used to, I lived in a place called Belmont and I used to call my house Hotel Belmont because it's the party house, but it was a party for one. I had my neighbours, like lovely, lovely neighbours, but they were younger and they was always having parties and that. And they would invite me in. I'd go, ah, I'd always make an excuse. But what that meant was I was imprisoned in my house because I couldn't even have the lights on because they would see I was in and then they would drag me in. But I didn't want to go in because I wouldn't be able to drink the amount I wanted to drink. So I used to sit in the dark and I'd have a candle by a bottle so I could see that I wasn't just pouring the vodka on the carpet. And I used to sit there all night or hide in my bedroom and stuff like that because... I knew I wouldn't be able to drink the amount I wanted to do to, to knock me out. And that was where my life yeah. got to in the end, you know, and the incredible blackouts where I spent days of not remembering conversations and that dreaded thing where you'd look at your phone the next morning and you go, oh, my God, why have I sent that message, you know? And I, I lost an incredibly valuable friendship to me by that exact thing posting on social media something that I it was almost like a self-sabotage thing is like no one else is going to say it so I'm going to say it and it just when I woke and then I passed out so it's almost like pressing the detonator and then I passed out and in the morning I had a million messages of like who the hell are you like what have you done you know and you live in that shame and the shame can eat you away and make you drink more, you know. And it's just a spiral of doom that you get into, which starts with the two cans of lager at 14 years old at the shops. You know, and that's why I say it's like that poison ivy that, mm. you know, we're not all the same. I mean, yeah. people grow up and they go in their 20s and they and they have kids and that, and they leave it alone and they, they do the thing of going out on a Saturday night and they won't touch it mm. in a week and that. But for me, there's this whole theory of disease and whatever I don't really buy into that but I think you can be genetically vulnerable to it you know people say oh my dad's an mm. alcoholic doesn't mean say you're gonna be one but you could be genetically vulnerable mm. and I know through tests that I am 
um, there's certain parts of me that um, don't, well, my dopamine receptor's faulty, so I'm always seeking dopamine. Like, you might find a 50 quid on the floor and be happy all day. For me, I find a 50 quid and be happy mm-hmm. for 10 minutes and then be looking for the next thing. So it makes me vulnerable because I, I'm looking for the next bloody hit, and that's why I drank so much, yeah. like quick, yeah. quick pints in succession, chasing the dragon. And so I believe, yeah. you know, my vitamin D levels are really low. My serotonin levels are really low. So I, I make up for it for alcohol. So that makes it particularly hard when I stopped. So, Dave, is that, are those tests that you could relatively easily get done? Like, if you didn't know that shit about yourself, is that something like anyone could literally get done? And then you'd know, all right, well, let, this is me. And I, I do have this dopamine, dopamine yeah, yeah. kind of... Uh, need like and I can manage that then it's um it was actually offered to me through um, a company on Instagram called Life Code GX because I, I was talking about genetics and that and they offered me this test so it was a private test that you can buy but they do loads loads I mean recently I did another one and they found out the fall off from caffeine for me is catastrophic so I don't drink caffeine anymore um, because it's 10 oh. times more than someone else so it's a genetic thing in me so that it's a dna test so it's one swab in your mouth yeah. and they come out with all these yeah. uh, things so as i say my low serotonin in the end they basically said the scientific thing the results were different from how i phrase it but basically i'm a miserable git <laughs> that's, a, that's <laughs> the non-scientific um results from that test but the, the real results are that I've got a forward dopamine receptor, low serotonin, low vitamin D, which means I'm always seeking a high to make me feel normal. So that makes me more genetically vulnerable to, to alcohol. Or it could be gambling yeah. or it could be sex addiction or it could be online yeah. shopping. But mm-hmm. my chosen Anything choice else? was alcohol. Yeah. I've, I've, read, um, I've read a few books yeah. about similar kind of stories like this that there's often not one addiction. One addiction might mask in another addiction, and behind that is a reason why there's an addiction. Yeah, cross you know, addiction. So it's like, it, just be, uh, there needs to be a high from somewhere. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what that high actually is, but, you know, mm. if your drug of choice is alcohol, then and it's so accessible, then great. But, yeah. you know, and I've heard this with gambling as well. Yeah. I think there's a book called Might Bite that I read, I read last year, and it was just fantastic. It's the only book I've actually read in public and cried in public at how desperate the author became because he knew what was happening, but he just had no control over it because he he was constantly chasing that next high. And this is a very intelligent academic person who just had no control over it. But even Gabo Marte, his his addiction was shopping, wasn't it? Like I read his, is it a a thousand hungry ghosts or whatever the last, but his realm of the hungry ghosts. That's it, yeah. You know, and 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 that's his thing. It's like online shopping, or not, not shopping in general. You know, thing is, it doesn't discriminate alcohol, does it? It doesn't discriminate. So it, it's that that drug that is for sale. You know, it's a legal drug, and this is why it upsets it's me the so most much. Accessible, it is. Yeah, yeah. And this is the why it's the accessible thing. The only drug you have to justify not taking. Because if you if you said you know what I've had a bit of problems like I've knocked on the old gambling or blah blah or I've given up fags or or I'm trying not to have sugar or I'm giving up caffeine oh brilliant well done trying to lose a bit of mm. weight ah oh, you look great I'm not drinking what you boring arsehole what's the matter with you mm. you know 
and, yeah, and it's like yeah. you're judged if you're sober, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it's it's what makes it hard. That's where the stigma around it is. Is that no one? Well, I can't say no one, but in general, people don't want to understand it because it might mean they have to look at their own drinking. So we all like ants always think we're an experiment after yeah. time. And there's the big mothership up there looking down saying, look at this race. They're imbeciles because they keep falling over yeah. and yeah. keep going back for more. It's. Mm. Mm. But, but you might look experimenting at, on us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you look at like smoking and, like, I mean, I used to smoke stupidly, you know, up until I was 30 and um, certainly couldn't smoke at the minute with my my uh, voice and throat like it is. But, you know, you look how stigmatised that now has become in the matter of, you know, what's it been since the smoking ban? 10, 15 years or something like that. Now, if you go past someone in the street, in the street that's smoking it, I like, you know, I'll, I'll cross the road so I don't have to breathe it. But you, you sat in pubs or you sat in restaurants back in the day and it was just completely normalised. And maybe this, maybe with alcohol, I don't, you know, mm. it's, it's one of those things. You, I, it's, it's, it's difficult, even knowing the damage, but it's difficult to see a point where society goes, you know what, guys, you know what, ants, it's time we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make this really difficult for you. We go because are there too many vested interests in alcohol? That's my well, money, question. isn't it? Taxes Money's in the, the money, yeah. But do you know what? I had um, Doctor Professor David Nutt on my um, uh, podcast, and he's a genius in this field. And uh, he said it costs us a lot more than the revenue that we get in through uh, the main thing yeah. is the emergency services yeah. that, that cost the money. It's like millions and millions a year in the UK. and uh, But it's always going to be the, the money in this um, that's going to keep it where it is. But I think we all got a choice, haven't we, whether we play along with it or not. And more and more people now are choosing not to for different reasons. Like you mentioned earlier about the younger generation are coming through and they're more health mm. conscious and it's not such a thing now, drinking. And I just think maybe in years to come, we, we will have a different view on how it is. You know, the TV programs won't have every program would be boozing and drinking. And I was in the main road the other day and there were the um, hoarding of a supermarket all the way along the road of buy six bottles of wine, get 25% off. It's like little like seeds constantly around you of an advert down a tube station of the perfect size 10 wife and the, you know, perfect yeah. family with a little glass of bloody Campari or something and buy the swimming pool. And it's, it's how they, yeah. market it that makes it so rewarding for people you know especially now when it's life's hard isn't it it's bloody hard yeah. well yeah yeah it's like even oh even like on something as you know innocuous as location 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 you know they go and look at house they get their offer you know accepted and then phil and um kirsty are down the pub with them and it's like Come on, man! This is just like a boring property show, <clears throat> you know. Next, why does it have to have drinking in it? Why? Why does it have to be that? Yeah, you know. And, and I think it's just so ingrained. Yeah, yeah. Dave, I've got, I've got a question. Dave Wilson, not Dave Eccles. If you're still there, Dave, because I've not. 
Beckles in you for a while. He's falling asleep. Are you Beckles? Oh, hey, mate. Oh, he's drunk. <laughs> no, I think he's taking notes. <laughs> Put the bottle down, man. Um, so you touched on something there, which I'm absolutely fascinated by, and um, I wonder if you can just just tell us a little bit more about this. And so we we, we know about the dopamine, the serotonin, the DNA, etc. We know people need a hit once in a while, but it's almost like what's the underlying problem here? And if 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 the drug of choice is alcohol, or it could be gambling, or any other kind of drug, is masking something, masking some kind of a pain. Do you mind me asking? And you can say no to this. What was the pain that you were masking? What was it that was causing you to seek, you know, to switch off or, or what were you hiding from? Has, has something come out of that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think you can just give up drinking and that's it. That's the practical way to do it. Oh, I'm just going to stop drinking and then bite your fingernails mm. off for the rest of your life. You, you need to get underneath what it is, you know, I'm quite a visual person mm. and I imagine like being on this ship boat looking at the iceberg and all the tourists snapping, oh, isn't it gorgeous? Look, the, the light on there is beautiful angle. And I say, well, have a little look underneath the water, just an inch and see, oh, that's horrible. Oh, I don't like that. That's really dark, right? And and that's a lot of the case with the people I work with. I, I help them explore maybe what is behind the drinking and that can be big T's, little T's. You know, I, I didn't have a big traumatic upbringing at all. But when my mum left, I didn't see her for a whole year. And as I say, back in those days, there weren't text messages, there weren't social media, you could see what they're doing. There was nothing. It was a phone box or nothing, you know, and there was no letter. And then when dad made that, so I think it was the rejection at such an early age that changed my direction in life because I got me the wrong crowd and then I started drinking and then my life was disaster after disaster. My first wife had an affair. I caught them. Um, and then that, my running theme in my early years was of rejection by women, you know. So then I went on to manifest a different life there, um, failed relationships. And so it was a, accumulation of different things throughout my life. But then added to that was low self-esteem, low self-worth, feeling not enough. But when I drank, I felt enough because I was this make them laugh, make them laugh kind of person. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then that, that went the flip side because then I become a recluse. So, and then I drank away. Like I felt sorry for myself, but I, I painted that out. But I used to put Pink Floyd on. Uh, my headphones and just drink away and I used to get the drink and go see you later reality you can fuck off like that and make it like a laugh but I used to literally binge vodka neat out the bottle until I pass out wake up again and think oh wait, what day oh it's Saturday I can carry on and you know so it, it was literally blocking out a succession of different occurrences in my life so it was never one thing but yeah. it started with the rejection got you okay so so it's something there's like a parallel to this so um if if you know somebody maybe advice for you, if you know somebody who's going through that is it sometimes not feeling valued because you spoke about rejection and um masking so if say for example you're living with somebody who's on that slippery slope down through alcoholism 
do you think sometimes if they were if they were loved, appreciated, respected more, or valued more in sobriety, they'd be less likely to 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 turn to alcohol? Or I'm away off the mark with that. I, I I think it's about the actual individual how they feel about themselves, and and if if you was a partner or loved one or relative, sibling or whatever, it's it's to try and you know the the true thing about empathy is to put yourself in their place and if you can think you know mm. how is this for you right now rather than you need to sort this out it provides a safe space for that person to feel heard and that can be difficult as well because that person might not want to be heard but at least if you're there for them and you, you say, look, if ever you want to talk, I just want to understand so I can support you, rather than if this carries on, you're out on your ear roll because that will never, ever work because they were, well, I can't speak for people on my behalf, but in my experience, most people mm. will just carry on drinking or drink more because, that, to be honest, a lot of the time you don't understand yourself at all, but if you feel understood, a bit like Piers that day when he said, why don't you join me rather than you need to, that made all the difference for me, you know, and it's it's always about the person um, themselves, always. So being heard is, is is crucial, isn't it, I suppose? And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to add as much value as possible for our listeners, you know, so there will be people who are, listening who are living with people with alcoholism but there'll also be people who are possibly themselves struggling themselves to understand why do i do this why do i self-sabotage you know so i'm i'm, I'm looking to try and unearth as many nuggets as possible from you so they can get the most value out of this time um what what other kind of what 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 kind of other kind of ideas would you have or suggestions would you have which are you know, not just individual, but just generalised ideas for somebody who was struggling in those situations. I think it's to to be kind to yourself because we spend the majority of our, our lives beating ourselves up when we're hooked into this drug. And it's like have some self-compassion and, and try and see that alcohol is a highly addictive drug that is promoted wherever you look. And we haven't chosen. I didn't choose at 14. I didn't have those two fosters and go, do you know what? One day I'm going to be a right raging alky under a bridge. I didn't choose that. It happened to me after a succession of things. So I think it starts with self-compassion and it also starts with being open for support. If you can be open for that, then you can start to get the help you need which can then help you to understand how to move forward. And whether that's a meeting, online communities, a coach like me, talking to your loved ones, there were plenty of things these days. In the old days, it was just go to an old church and stand out and say, I'm an alcoholic. And as Phil said earlier, there's such a range of people. I, I, I never, ever say, do you know what? You need to get to this level of drinking to be classed as this label of an alcoholic you could have two glasses of wine a night which is too much anyway and have a problem with alcohol it could affect your parenting it can affect your sleep it could make your anxiety a lot worse you might not drink for weeks yet you binge randomly you know and you know it 
you don't have to be this textbook person on a bench with a brown bag. It can be anything. But if you feel like it's affecting your life in any way, try and be open for support. And that's the biggest thing you can do. And and you can start to understand it then. It and for me, I needed to understand it to be able to move forward. Otherwise, I'd have kept going back, going back, going back. Because all I was doing was clocking up the days. You know, oh, there's day three, there's day four. I'm all right. I can have a drink, really, because I've done four days. It's it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really useful. Very, very valuable stuff. That, and I'm sure people are going to take a lot from that. You just touched on something, Dave, though, which is really um, kind of the next question I was going to ask you. You're a coach now, so my question was like. Where are you now? I don't mean physically in, you know, in your front room talking to us and oh, living near Croydon or wherever it is. I mean, where are you now in your life? You know, you said that you coach people. So tell me more about the new version of Dave Wilson. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, well, I was, I was actually learning to be a, a therapist when I was drinking, which sounds bizarre, but I've always had a passion for helping people. You know, I was always the one that people come say, oh, can I ask you advice and that? And I, I got a lot back from it. So I did two years of uh, level two, level three to be a, a counsellor, but I cocked it up through my drinking because I used to do the homework at the pub. So I'd have two or three Peronas before I'd even open the laptop. I'd write this 1,500-word thesis that was, by the end of it, it's like, oh, my God, this is literally fantastic. Send it off without even reading it and then get hauled into the office on a Thursday in college and they say, what the fuck is this? Like something out of Dr. Who. So anyway, that, that was um, 2018. My mum died. Um, and I was with her when she died and it, it was quite difficult actually. And I just started drinking even more and I was failing on my attendance and whatever. But anyway, I had two years experience of that, which was magic for me. Uh, and then when I stopped drinking, I had to find something else to do. I couldn't just sit there tapping my fingers on the desk. So I looked at online courses and this one come up, which was to qualify as a grey area drinking coach so I enrolled in that but I also volunteered to be a peer mentor in a drop-in centre in Clapham and this were where people had lost their kids lost their homes they were breathalyzed every morning to make sure they weren't drinking and I did 16 weeks there and learned such a lot about addiction and and people you know people skills of of what we'll go through when we got this addiction and how we think and how we react to certain situations. And I did that. And then I did a mental health first aid course. And I just found like educating myself in this field was real magic for me. Uh, and, and then I, you did know, you get high from that as well. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. So sorry, because you mentioned about dopamine and serotonin. Yeah, yeah. So does, is that a way learning something new? Does that replace yeah. that that loss? Yes, understand. Like because I wouldn't learn anything. I was just winging it every day, you know, so mm. I can get my next drink. But you know, I failed at school. Mm. Uh, so by going back to school in my fifties, I was always this one that like you're never too old to do anything, right? You you can turn your life around and think I was drinking forty years. It'd be easier, especially as a bloke, to go fuck it, I've been doing it all my life, this is going to see me out. But I, is, I'm a real strong advocate now to say to people, like, it doesn't even matter if you're 70. I know someone, I helped him stop drinking at 72, right? Now, what that will do, wow. 
that will surely, even if they live another five years, ten years, whatever, that yeah. quality of life is going to be a million times better than what it was before. Right, so no matter what anyone's doing, yeah. whether they they got poor eating habits, or whether they're smoking, or whatever it is, right, you can turn your life around really quickly, no matter what age you are, by making the right choices. And I always think mm. about the quality of life that you want to lead. Like, think about that, for, even for this year, two thousand twenty-four. How do you want to look back on this year and see it? Do you want to be in the same position mm. you are now, or do you want to? have joined a gym or, or joined a ramblers club or do, doing a bakery evening club or whatever it you, you like to do, you can make small little tweaks here and there to improve your life. And that has a knock on effect to your loved ones, your kids, everyone around you, your work life. It can be so dramatic, you know, for these small changes in life. I can tell you're an incredible coach already by the way you phrase things and, you know, how you can use that visualisation gift that you've got. You can visualise things into the future. I think sometimes that's what we need when we can't see beyond the next 24 hours. I think you made reference to yeah. what would what would the next three months be like? Just imagine mm. what that would be like. And suddenly you've got a different vision of yeah. the future. Like this, It must give hope to, to do that. And having that, those, those skills, you know, you know, learning new skills in your, in your 50s, and learning how to take charge of your drinking habits in your 70s kind of proves the point. It's the kind of thing which I know our listeners love and I absolutely adore. It's like never too old to learn something new. It's never too late. And for me, it's always about having hope in the, even in the darkest times, if yeah. you've got something you can, you know, you can at least, you know, pin your hope to. I think that's sometimes what we need. And it's inspirational to hear. And you probably hear this all the time, Dave, that, you know, it's inspirational to hear that. But it is inspirational because I see that as breathing life into people, giving people second chances. And that's no doubt what what you do. What what? Well, I don't like to use the word services, but, but so what is it you do for people? So I know you coach and you've, you've been a peer mentor as well. So what's, what is it you do to other people? So our listeners can reach out to you as well if they need to. Well, um, the ironic thing is as well, Andy, was that when I was drinking, I always used to say, I could write a book about this one day. So I wrote a book. Oh, great. Uh, and, you know, there's a cliche in, in the sober side. What are you going to do? Climb a mountain next? And I have. I've done two this year. Mm. But do you know what? That wasn't so much as, oh, this is what I've got to do as this. It's It was a personal challenge. And then someone said to me the other day, so what are you going to do this year? And I said, fuck all. <laughs> do you know what? I've done so many things that <laughs> I need a, a break. But do you know what? So I wrote a book, right? And that was that was really difficult to do because it ripped my whole life up. And I even put a letter from where my mum left that house. I revisited that house and I put a handwritten letter for the door. And I said, I told him a bit about myself and I said, 45 years ago, my mum left this house and I'm writing a book about it now. If I bring a cake yeah. round and some tea bags, would I be able to sit in this, this house? I wanted to feel the feels of that house and I never heard. They never replied to me or whatever. Which, you know, it's oh, a shame. A bunch of twats. Yeah, it was a shame. But well, the whole process you, of me writing my book was like revisiting my life. So I wrote the book and then I started my podcast off a thought in the bathroom and I did my first episode and it went to number three in the Apple charts like that week. And it's like, 
what is happening? This this door that was opened on mm-hmm. the seventh of January, everything's clicking into place. And the podcast now it gets insane download. I interview people all over the world. I interview specialists. I had a woman on there, a doctor, talking about the menopause because I like to, to cover all the subjects to do with addiction, you know, perimenopausal symptoms and the, you know, how it affects it when you are drinking. And I have that. And then I recorded an audio book. I mean, that's that. I mean, there's a whole thing in the addiction world about ADHD. Like, I can't read a line without me, like, not knowing what I've read. So I, I did my audio book and I come out there like every night like a zombie. Um, and I now I do group coaching groups and it, do you know what I in a way I have the best job in the world because I get messages from all over the world by people saying um, you've helped my wife you've helped my husband and my whole life has changed personally so mm. by changing one life can change ten you know so coaching. Yeah, I'm I'm speaking at an event with Ollie Ollerton actually, um, from SAS who dares wins and, and Scott. Um and like these kind of things petrify me. I can sit here behind the computer with you guys and talk my story, but to get on a stage, I, I don't know what it is. It's like because I'm like feel I'm quite shy, believe it or not. So to get up in front of <laughs> thousands of people and, and say your story is completely different from the computer screen. But Scott Thomas, he, he yeah. was on Love Island and, uh, and he, he's recorded an episode of my podcast, mm. actually, and he's talking. And those kind of things give me the dopamine hit. But also, yeah. walking my dog gives me the dopamine hit because it's she's beautiful, my little dog. And I've got a lovely girlfriend. I live in a lovely area. It's really quiet and tranquil. Where before, I always say chaos creates chaos, right? And my, I've, the way I've shaped my life now isn't all about climbing up a mountain. It's about waking up in the morning and feeling content in your soul. You know, like you think, do you know what? I don't need a lot in my life, really. I, I've, it's almost like in my 50s, I've given myself another chance because if I hadn't have taken that chance that day, I'm sure I wouldn't be here now. Um, and so I feel yeah. like I've been offered an opportunity to help people. And I, I mean, when I say help people, that's like without, you know, I can help you get away from this. I can maybe help spread the message. There is another way other than that way. That And that's my sort of mantra, you know. And isn't, doesn't that then, I mean, it just strikes me as we're talking, like, isn't that like your approach through the coaching and the podcasts and the book and the audio book and all that kind of, isn't that sort of the extension of what Piers did for you that day in yeah. January? It's like, well, let's, let's do this together. I'm going to wag my finger and say, you're a fucker for doing this and yeah. you need to sort your life out. Well, let's actually just, let's take away the shame. Yeah. Let's start. And the judgment. Know, let's just, yeah. You know, and the judgment and all of that. And then, and just work on it together and, 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 and again, take away this shame of the, you're an alcoholic, so therefore, you know, it's terrible to this thing, as you say, of the, the, the grey area drinking that doesn't have that, it's not, it's taken away that stigma. Yeah, 100%. But almost mate. all of this feels like, it just feels really aligned to, yeah. like, your man, 
yeah, you man there, trying. like just peers going, look, you know, look, let's let's let, do you fancy having a go at this with me? Yeah, it just it feels like the whole thing. So in a couple of weeks earlier, going, I think something brilliant is going to happen to you. You know, is is scarily. Uh, uh, what's the word? Yeah, yeah, what's, I, I what's know, accurate. You know, pathetic, it, yeah. it was a few months, actually, and I didn't know, I thought he meant that I'm going to be visited by God or something because he's really into the church. I didn't know yeah. what it meant. Well, well. I didn't know what it meant, <laughs> but what are. it meant was that <laughs> I'm going to change my entire life and off the back of that, mm. hopefully I can help some people change their lives by just being mm. there, you know, like listening and and that's the key, I think. Maybe that was the purpose of Piers's life or Piers's moment there. He was maybe being a prophet at some point, depending on your, you know, religious yeah. persuasion. I've got some quick questions for you, Dave, because I'm, I'm conscious that I don't want to take too much of your time, and and, and Phil's got a lot of editing to do. Um, some these are quick questions. It's not the quick fire round, Phil. So don't worry. You don't have to. You don't have to put, put yourself under any pressure. Um, what is grey area drinking? Grey area drinking is a bit in the middle, so it's not take it or leave it where you'd have a glass of sherry at Christmas with a with a folk, or and it's not where you uh, rely on alcohol to get through the day. Um, so there's a bit in the middle, and it's quite a large bit. You could have a couple of glasses of wine a day, or you could have nothing in the week and binge at the weekend. So there's a big section in the middle that is grey area drinking. What's the name of your podcast? I want our listeners to, to tune in. I want to tune in as well. Well, that's uh, irony there. It's uh, one of my old sayings called One for the Road. That's the name of my book and podcast. Yeah. I always used to say One for the Road. Well, actually, it meant as let's have 20 mm. for the road, but I couldn't really call that for the podcast. Yeah, One for the Road, and it's out on Apple, Spotify, whatever. And they're life stories. They're all life stories apart from the experts and that that come in. But, yeah, they're a good listen. Love that. How often do you record them? Pardon? What's the frequency of your podcast? Well, how often Weekly. do you record the frequency Weekly. of the podcast? Weekly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It must be time consuming. Um, so that's the name of the podcast and the book? Yeah. And the One for the Road, yeah. Where can we buy the book? You can buy the book on Amazon and it's on audio now, uh, which killed me, but it's out there. It's been out there for about a month now because a lot of people can't bloody read anymore, right? So they like to listen. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I did that as well. So that's out there. Um, I want to bring in the other Dave now. You still there, Dave? I'm still here, yeah. He's I'm well sozzled. Nice. <laughs> I know, yeah. Put the bottle down. Um, <laughs> um, Dave, you, you like to summarise with some lessons, so you've been pretty quiet in this podcast. I thought Phil would be the quiet one and how you've been able to talk through this with, with, your, um, with your illness. I don't know. I think um, I think it's the, the stimu- stimulating conversation with Dave. But Dave King Cod, um, give me some summaries. What have you What have you heard? What have you heard? What What are you heard. taking away from this podcast? What have you heard? Scottish. I knew it. You know what? I knew it'd be a. I knew it'd be a really, really good conversation. You know, Dave, when we spoke before Christmas, and also. The time as well, you know, January, people are coming up with all these New Year's resolutions and thinking about, you know, dry January and changing their relationship with alcohol. And also because of our listener demographic, you know, we describe the pod as three middle-aged blokes. And I think alcohol is is something that hits people in middle age in some form or another way, you know, from that side, you know, that side of it. And it does, it's like as the mind and the body starts to change again, 
alcohol starts to affect people significantly differently and especially if you've had a relationship with it quite for quite a long time and also looking listening today listening today and looking back at my own relationship with it you know and oh man you know from like late 30s to early 40s it wasn't very good and I knew it was and now but listening to the story today I'm going yeah, it really, really wasn't very good, you know. I I thought it might have been at like a, may say a seven or eight, and I'm thinking, uh, not to the extent, Dave, where I was, I probably, you know, I wasn't doing the levels that you that you, that you talked about. But I guess it's all relative, and it wasn't good, you know, it wasn't good. And then thinking about my relationship, what changed it, and why it changed it, and thankfully it did, and my relationship with it now. You know, and the way they're looking at it now, you know, I mean, I started out socially drinking and then definitely in those 30, that, that age time, drinking to forget or suppress the mental torment that, that was there, you know, and that, that no doubt, I have no doubt about that whatsoever, 110% with that. And now looking at my alcohol, you know, what I do now, I, I like a beer, you know, I love a beer. I absolutely love a can of Stella. But my general rule of thumb is I'll have four pint cans in the fridge and that'll do me for the week because I, I genuinely, I like the taste of it. I'm not drinking to get pissed. I'm not drinking to forget. It's just an, it's just an, it's just an all right thing for me. But yeah, looking back going, yeah, that weren't good, Dave. Where you thought you were, you were probably significantly More further along way, from where yeah. I thought I was, you know. Yeah. Today, oh my word, I think, I think the scary thing is, and knowing from the conversations that we have with people and, and the age that we are, how much it is affecting people in all sorts of different ways, you know. I think it's, people don't talk about it enough, and I don't think they will do, because it's, like we're talking about, it's socially acceptable. It's there, you know. What is too much? What isn't, you know. It, I think I think it's pretty scary, really. And Dave, like you said before, maybe give it another 10 years and let's see what the conversation's like now, Like then. Maybe it will be like mm, what Phil said, yeah. significantly like people smoking. Maybe it will be looked that way. Mm. I used to listen to, you know, I listened to what my dad used to tell me, what he got up to, and he used to think, Jesus Christ. I look back at what I, we used to get up to and go, weren't as much as my dad's, but it was still bad. And thankfully, hopefully, the younger generation, they are cleaner living, you know. But there addiction's going to be different to ours, isn't it? Their addiction's going to be to oh, do yeah. with mobile phones and online connectivity. So every generation's sort of like shifting into this new sort of like addiction of, of, of sorts. Something I think else. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it really yeah. is, you know. And, and so really, really interesting conversation, guys. And it's been, I might not have said much on the pod, pod but I've not needed to. You know, I've, I've been. It's mm. been really nice to listen and take take it on board. It's 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 been good, boys. It's been really good, and I, I, the listeners will have some serious takeaways from this. I'll be. I will put money on it that every single listener listening to this pod will go will have something to take away from this, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, 
I've I've taken a few things from it. I've I've, I've written loads of notes as as, as ever. There's a lot to ponder on that. The two angles I'm looking at though is one is from the person who's who's drinking and the person who's supporting the drinker. If you like, you know, I'm looking at it from both parts. I think the the latter one is 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 really useful, in particular for a lot of our listeners. But I think what I liked, what I heard is like, be kind to yourself and, you know, respect the fact that alcohol is an addictive drug. Be open for support. Um, I think that's definitely, you know, that that make, makes an awful lot of sense. I liked how you explained about learning something new could potentially replace that dopamine hit or the serotonin. Mm, um, yeah, what I absolutely loved. Um, as well was that it's it's never too late to change or learn something new. Um, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks. I'm not calling you an old dog, by the way, Dave. You know, there's not much in it between our ages. Um, and feeling content, I think. I think that you know, th- there's a lot more in that than than was said. Um, we're often chasing happiness, whereas contentment is just that one level down, which is, is less of a less of an, a hangover from from happiness, isn't it? Without happiness, there's you know, there's no unhappiness and vice versa. So I really enjoyed that. But I think from those people living with those those who were struggling is about empathy. You know, it's it's about being heard or allowing that person to be heard, to stand back and go on a journey with them. Don't tell them what to do, just go on a journey with them. I think that must be one of the hardest things to do for somebody who's watching somebody destroy themselves with an addictive drug like alcohol. You know, but so I think as well there. as men, we want to fix, don't we? You know, we want to fix it. What you want it. to do is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And sometimes it's yeah. about dropping that um, old thing. And as you say, you, you put it really nicely, it's going on a journey with them, but that, that can be equally difficult because for the partner of, they've got their own experience around loving someone with an addiction. You know, it, it it's a painful journey for that person as well. So, like you kind of have to put that aside, I think, for now, and that that can be looked after after, you know, with couples therapy, and you know, it's almost like, what is the best way out of this for all of us, really? You know, that's what I think. Mm. Yeah, you know, what's the win-win situation for us all? It's not about me; it's about us, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, what, what, if anything, Dave Wilson? What have you taken from this this podcast? What are the, what are the key points that you'd like to leave us with? Well, I I I've really enjoyed this conversation because it's a, a different kind of podcast from what I normally do. Because I I go on a lot of um, podcasts that talk about recovery and that, but I I it's been a very articulate conversation for me hearing your points from your side as well because normally I talk to people who have been addicts and it's clear by what mm. Dave King Cod has said that now he can have four cans in the fridge and make them last all week. God, that for me was a starter before I even got on the vodka, the four pints. Of, that was literally my starter. Um, and it's interesting to get your perspective around my conversation as well. But I think, in essence, for my experience, I suppose I agreed to do this interview with you because I I want people to know that nothing's impossible. I went from a litre of vodka a night for a decade 
to stopping and turning my whole life around with education, mindset, support, changing my outlook towards life and visualizing a better future for me. And if someone can take that from this podcast, then it's worth every minute of me doing this because, you know, we get to an age where we're set in our ways and we, we in our careers or whatever we're doing, relationships and that. And if you can think, do you know what? I can change that, but I need to have the right mindset and the right attitude to want to do it. And, and that's mm. what I take from this. You know, I think it's a fantastic platform you've created here. And I genuinely feel honoured to be a guest on it today. So thank you. No, no, no it's been that means, absolutely that means brilliant. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. Dave King Cod, do the honours for us, please, and talk us out of the show. I certainly will, yeah. Yeah, just to reiterate from myself, Phil, and, uh, and Andy, Dave, thank you, mate. I mean, we always believe that there's always some nuggets that come out of the pods that we do. I think today it's just packed with them so some absolute pure value in it mate so yeah really 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 appreciate you coming on uh, and to all our listeners thank you uh, keep listening keep keep you know keep, we appreciate your support give us a like give us a share give us a comment drop us an email if you want to get in touch you know if you want to have a chat or even if it's to, to suggest anything that up and coming topics at hello at talkingcod.com it's been awesome. We're into 2024. Thank you, Dave. Cool. Nice one. Thanks, Dave. Thank you both, Thanks. Daves. Thanks, Dave, Dave. <laughs> Cheers, Phil. Cheers.